not too bad. Life is good. The book's out. I'm happy. And um, shows are coming in. And yeah, I'm in a good place. I like that. All right, I'm going to give you the proper intro and then we'll start. Okay. Hi, my name's Aquia Jamfi, founder of the British Blacklist. And right now, I'm in the presence of a legend. And I don't know what it is like. It's not like I've known this gentleman's career intrinsically over the years, but I'm of a generation where, hello, darling, hello, good looking, <laughs> is just the some sort of part of my life soundtrack. We're growing, okay. I don't even know, like me and my friend could rock in to sing that just for no reason, just have a conversation and that might be part of the conversation. So I've, I think I remember seeing this gentleman on top of the pop singing that song. So you don't look old enough. I I listen, we're not cracking. You don't look old enough. <laughs> but yes, yeah, so please, sir, introduce yourself. Tell us who you are and what you do. Hi, my name is Tipper Irie. I'm a recording artist, a producer, and now an author. Basically a musician, reggae musician, been doing music for over 40 years, a long time. Produced about 20 studio albums. Um, about maybe, I don't know, five, six hundred singles um, in different genres of music, not just reggae, quite a few jungle, you know, bits of hip hop, bits of dance, bits of garage, but mainly reggae is my forte. Yeah, so about a long, long career, Grammy nominated, countless number one tunes in the reggae chart. So, yeah, I'm in a good place. I never knew the days when Hello Darling was out. I never knew what I was going to be, never knew what I was going to do. So I don't know if I ever even thought I'd even have a conversation with you in this way. Wow. So sometimes in doing this work, it is amazing. Sometimes I'm just like, wow, it's 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 kind of crazy how the world turns and how yeah. our careers yeah. evolve. Yeah, I know how you feel because it's like when I started my career, I just started in the basements of my of my dad's house. And um, I used to play people like Gregory Isaac and Dennis Brown and Dennis Al Capone. And then I end up on a tour bus with Gregory Isaac and on the same bill as Dennis Brown. And Dennis Al Capone is now my friend. So for me, it's like sometimes you think, wow, I'm actually on a tour bus sitting beside Gregory Isaac. I remember when my dad was playing his tunes then. And I would have never thought that I'd be, he'd be asking me to get his, his scrambled eggs in the morning or, or tip, give me some of them, tip, give me some of them, Chris, that, you know what I mean? Uh, whatever. So I understand where you're coming from with that statement. Who has been the most like, oh my God, I'm in the room on a level with this person, not to maybe diminish their status, but yeah, that moment um, on a level. Wow. Um... That's interesting because there's been so many people, you know, like David Hines from Steel Pulse, um, Brinsley Ford from Aswad and Drummy Zeb from Aswad. And then you've got people like Ali Campbell from UB40. Obviously, I kind of grew up with Maxi Priest on the sound system. You know, I've been in the room with like Paul McCartney, I don't know, Britney Spears, Mary J. Blythe. All these different, different people that are kind of like huge. And then there's loads of rock bands because I toured with the Black Eyed Peas. Yeah. So when I toured with the Black Eyed Peas, I met a lot of these people mm. and they just referred to me. Oh, you, you the reggae guy, you know, yeah. because obviously I'm on the show and they can hear my Caribbean flavor when I'm performing because 
I used to kind of like, well, I used to open the show for the Black Eyed Peas um, when I was touring with them. Mm. So obviously I got the chance to do my 10 minutes before I introduced the Black Eyed Peas. You know, so a lot of the times you blow them away because obviously, you know, you're like the Caribbean, you're adding the Caribbean flavor to the whole thing. But there's lots of people, man. I'm just trying to remember them. I've been in the room with George Michael, with, mm. I don't know, just loads of pop artists. Because back in the 80s, uh, you know, I was a pop star. With yeah. Ella Darling, you know what I mean? I think the, the most of all I remember now is Gene Kelly. Oh, wow. Know, singing in the rain. Yeah. yeah. I sat in the room with him. We was in the green room together. And he goes, oh, you going to sing a song? And I'm like, yes, sir. Nice to meet you, man. I remember watching your singing in the rain and, and those tunes. So I think it was him. It would be like, wow, when you meet somebody like that, it's kind of like a Fred Astaire or he's on that kind of level. So it was nice to meet somebody like that. How did um, the Black Eyed Peas thing come about that you were opening for them? And what, what, how did you open for them? What, would, what was your set? I was working in America. You know, I'm just out there on the road you know mm. in some shows and this guy I met this guy called Motivate and he's a DJ producer and it just so happens he had a studio in the same building as Will I Am mm. so when I was recording for him Will I Am is his friend so he just passed by and said who the hell is this guy it sounds incredible so he said to me one day I'm gonna have something for you you know, because they weren't huge then. They never had Where Is The Love and those tunes. I think they just got the deal with Interscope. Okay. So they hadn't really, there was big underground hip hop. And they had the black sister in the group at the time. Mm. Then Fergie came in after. But anyway, he heard me. So I was doing a show in San Diego at this place called The Belly Up in San Diego. And... I got a call from this girl called Shelly. She said, Shelly, Will's ready for you. You know, he's got this tune. So I said, okay, no problem. So I was staying in Laverne, which I think is on like Route 66. You remember that? Get your kicks on Route 66. Yeah. It was on that, around that that road anyway. It was a long, long road, but it was a place called Laverne. And I, I was staying at my friend's house, a guy called Dave Monaco. And so I said, Dave, you got to take me down to Hollywood, man. I got to go and see Will. So he drove me down there. I met Will and Fergie had just joined the group. So anyway, he played me the tune, which was the instrumental for Hey Mama. And then, so I said, yeah, I can definitely do something on this. I didn't do it there and then because mm -hmm. I'm quick like that. I can always kind of sit and find something or sometimes I can write in the booth. And then you just do line by line and I just think of a line and then think of another line and whatever. But I thought, nah, let me take it to where I was staying and live with it. So that's what I did. I just lived with it for the night and I just came up with a cutie cutie. Make sure you move your booty. Shake that thing in at the city I've seen. And hey, shawty. I said, that's it. Because I kind of wanted to give it like a shorty is an American thing. Isn't yeah, it? yeah, a yeah. British thing. So I just kind of added some American slangs what I know that they would know basically what the procedure is he leaves all the gaps and then they say to you fill the gaps okay so i just set up all night wrote the lyrics filled all the gaps and then i went back there the next day and i just knocked it out the park you know what i mean oh. i was ready because you know when you you rehearse you rehearse you rehearse i rehearsed all night 
and he loved the tune. So he just told me how much he was going to pay me. So I said, okay, that's cool. And then he told me how much publishing he was going to give me. And I said, that's cool. And that was it. And I just left it at that and left. And you just forget about it, you know, because that's what I do. I'll, I'll do tunes with people, then forget about it. Yeah. And then it turn up, you know what I mean? And then oh. all of a sudden now I heard, where is the love, you know? And it's got Justin Timberlake on the tune. And I thought, okay, looks like these lot are about to blow up. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? And then so, and then I heard, shut up, shut up. Then I said, right, hey, mama must be the next single. And it was. So they phoned me and said they wanted me to come to Hollywood. So I thought, I think I can do that. <laughs> you know, one of them ones. So I went out there, did the video with them and, you know, taught me a lot about the business. You know, even though I've been in it for so long, you know, you still learn I mean, I was, I was just about to say, you learned something even after your extensive career. So what was the new thing that you figured out? I mean, you know that people can be arseholes, if you like, you know what I mean? But when you're with a group that's blowing up and that's huge in America, they have a business manager, they have a manager, they have a road manager, they have a production manager. So you're dealing with all these different, different entities. And then you might go to the video shoot and the song has changed and nobody's told you that the song has changed, but oh. he had to, he changed the song to accommodate the other two people in the group. But okay. it would have been nice for you to say, hi, Tipper, by the way, we've had to change this song to accommodate the two other guys in the band. So you won't be doing as much as the whole song. You'll just be doing these parts and blah, 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 blah. It's just common courtesy. Okay. And manners you know what I mean and sometimes you just find that when you're up at that level sometimes these people they don't have that kind of you know etiquette um, etiquette and I'm coming from where I'm coming from we are used to that kind of just be polite not be polite because not all the times you can be polite but just courteous to say yo we're doing this you know mm. what I mean and then you might buck up on a choreographer or, you know, that's there and they, you know, they just expect you to know everything. I know what am I talking about, this and that. So it's just things that you pick up along the way. But the main thing is to know is that if you don't know, they're not going to tell you. Absolutely. So you have to be in the know and find out for yourself and do research for yourself. And, and also understand that people are not like you. You know what I mean? Because I face that a lot in the industry with people along the way, you know, touring with David Rodigan and the Outlook Orchestra. I learned something again with them also, you know, you know, with people just the respect that you think that people have for you. Sometimes you really can get to understand that they're really not your friends or they're really not your brethren like they portray they are. They're just acquaintances because when it comes to, a time for them to stand up for you or to say, well, yo, this brother, you need to show respect to this guy. You know what I'm saying? And I'm not a yes man. I'm not a, I'm, I'm a principal man. Mm. So it don't matter who you are, whether it's Maxi Priest, David Rodigan, Black Eyed Peas, whoever you are, if you're not coming with me with the principal, then I'm going to stand by my principal. And if you don't like that, then that's really up to you. Just to wrap up that question now. Black Eyed Peas. Black Eyed Peas. Yeah. So you did so you did the track. It was a bit changed. However, 
the relationship was still strong enough that you went on tour with them. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course, of course, yeah. because you have to ride certain so things. You just ride them out for the big yeah. and and think about the bigger picture. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? But sometimes with me, it's like as long as my fridge is full, I got a car to take me from A to B. I got a little something in my bank so that if I need something for my kids, I need to help up my children or my sister, you know, my missus or whoever, you know, I'm cool. Everybody likes to be comfortable and I am comfortable, but it's like, I don't, I'm not going to be chasing or disrespecting people or putting people down or just being disregarding people for money. You know what I mean? Or I'm not sucking up to whoever it may be because they might can elevate me to the next level or whatever. So on that, you've moved into the author space and your book is called Stick to My Roots. Stick to My Roots. Those sticking to my roots, I guess that's very poignant to even what you just said because yeah. whatever was in your heart, soul, has kept you in a space where you stick to your principles. You're not yeah. a yes man. You understand respect and how to treat people, what's right and what's wrong. So from these roots that you're sticking to, who instilled those roots and those principles in you? Well, it's got to be my mom, isn't it? My mom and my dad, you know what I mean? They're serious people and they, well, not even that serious people, but they instilled that discipline in me. You know, when my when I left school, I left school with not much qualifications with any. And my mom's like, yo, you ain't sitting down in here, you know, you know, you got to go and get a job. But so what she done, she found me a job, you know what I mean? And said, yo, she found me a laboring job um, with a friend of hers called Joe. So I said, okay, mom, I'll, go, I'll do that. You know what I mean? I never had much choice. You're under her roof. Mm-hmm. You know, you have to kind of toe the line. So, and as a man, I was only 16, 17, you know, but I just had to do what I had to do. So I did that for a while so it's mainly my mom and my dad and my aunties and my uncles and you know they were the ones you know that instilled that in me and I worked with a brother called Grant Lee Haynes from Birmingham who managed me and Pato Banton and he you know also instilled a lot of those principles in me as well you know what I'm saying so yeah I had good people strong people strong Caribbean parent upbringing and that kind of instilled that in me. So it's hard for me when I see somebody doing something wrong, you know, especially to me, it's like, I ain't going to take that or I'm not going to not say nothing, you know, but I don't hold grudges. If you do me something wrong, then I'll just stay away from you. Yeah. I'm still going to be mature enough to see, all right, cool. But you just keep it moving. Yeah. You know, but some people, they're still, even though they're grown men, you know, a lot of them still have this childish mentality, but I'm not gonna, you know, go against my principles just because you are who you are. Absolutely. And I think us of a certain generation, and you speak about this in your journey throughout uh, Stick to My Roots, your journey, your come up and how you were raised, what you saw and your experiences. Sometimes the fear of losing our culture and tradition to the new wave of doing things to speak to how the industry has changed, because I think your book is also a manual about this evolution of the of this of the industry as well, because you've yeah. seen it change and shift. How can you speak to that that shift and change of like how things were back then, to where there was more ownership and black owned production companies, and there was a kind of sense of we own this culture, this music, this thing, this wave of 
British black artists that are doing something revolutionary to now maybe it's not so much like that. In, back in the day, it was more, you know, I guess, like you say, is a more of um, needing to do for yourself. Yeah. Because we didn't have, remember, there's a lot of gatekeepers in the industry and the stations, them, the problem with us back in the day is that we didn't get our station played on the station that pays, you know, we just got our, our music played on community radio, you know, so there was pluses and minuses because you had Tony Williams and you had David Rodigan and everybody used to focus in on those two shows. They had the audience, but there was more of a vocal point for everybody back in the eighties. And because everybody would tune in and then we would listen to those um, radio DJs and then we'll go to the record shop. We'll buy the seven inch or the vinyl and then we put them on a cassette and play them in our car. And that's how we kind of did it back then. Physical sales now like vinyl and CDs and cassettes, obviously they were manufactured and we would put them in the boot of our car and go around to the shops them and deliver them to the shops or we'd bring them to a dis distributor. We had distribution from Jetstar, you know, and then also we had Dub Vendor and um, Supertone and you know, Blacker Dread and all these other, all these outlets where we would go, body mm. music and basically drop off our stuff, sale and return, sell, they would sell and then we'd go and pick up the envelope of whatever they've sold. So we would do that and then obviously we'd do shows to promote whatever we're doing. And there was more, I guess, places like All Nations, Night Moves, Oasis, all these kind of four races, all these clubs and stuff where we would go to dance and rave and introduce the music to the people. Because remember, these shows were only like once a week. So after that show or that two hours was gone, you ain't going to hear them tunes again on the radio. So you have to go and buy them. So we used to make a decent living off of a vinyl and selling them to putting them through the distributors and whatever. So in that sense, I prefer those times because it was physical. You made, you sold, you had the physical cash. Now it's changed into a different thing. After the CDs era has gone, it's moved on to this teeth in era now of streaming where them just are rubbed with blind playing and there's no other way to put it because you you still have the same manufacturing cost beforehand we still have to get somebody to do the artwork we still have to pay studio time we still have the so the economic side of it it's still there but the streaming side whereby you have to have a billion streams or a million streams to make a couple of thousand pounds it's just not feasible for us so for me we've lost a third of the industry to the streaming thing and there's only a few people that's making money out of the situation where that is concerned but obviously for somebody like me because of my vast catalog you know I have publishing publishing side you know PRS PPL MCPS all the um and in America it's like Sound Exchange, Music Report, all these revenues where I can get my manager to chase to to see what funds are out there. So I just think that it's changed because it was physical and now it's gone to stream. 
and the streaming is not beneficial really to the artist. It dehumanizes the whole process, doesn't it? Because I think the physical aspect kind of values the labor, whereas when you don't see the humans doing the labor and it's just all online, it just removes the... Yeah, yeah. So I guess it's changed, you know, it's changed because you now see the physical side of things and people used to like to feel the product, you know. Yeah. It's like a book, you know, because people can actually... You know, they want to feel the book. They want to smell the book. They want to read the book. They want, you know, they want to say, yo, I can look at this book every day. You know, you've got loads of books behind you there. there. You know what I mean? And you can look, you can pass there sometimes think, you know what? Let me read back that book there. Yeah. You know, and and that's, so for me, it's a blessing that I've, you know, found and I've gone into something else. So what made you write the book? Just need, need, needing to tell our story. Sure. You know, it's about, our story and about my story and making sure that I get to tell it rather than somebody else telling it for me. It's important. I say to my daughter every time, and there's two layers to this, just the amount of black artists that we see and in different different positions of power that I still remember seeing one, two, Aswad, seeing Tipper on, on TV in the yeah. one show that we could watch, one top of the pots and everyone's waiting for the black artists to come on and then go talk yeah. about it at school the next day. Those moments are cherished, though we didn't, though it wasn't right that there was so few and far between, knowing there's a whole community outside that's doing stuff. But here with it's like I say to my daughter, it's amazing. And then us having African heritage, seeing the blow up of Afrobeats and having that grow, her heritage matters, where there was times when it was a bit of a struggle to even claim your heritage as African, all that type of stuff. It's really, it is very important, as you say, that it's documented in a way that we don't forget. My yeah. my granddaughter. You know, she was at my book launch, you know. Oh. And so she was there, you know, and she's like, Granddad, can I get my book now? You know, I need my book, Granddad. And okay, I'm like, okay, Rochelle, okay, Jada, you're going to get your book. And then 10 minutes later, she goes, Granddad, where's my book? I need my book. That in itself is special for me, you know, because I know she'd be able to say, my granddad did this. With that, I think there's a conversation about the generations, and I think it happens every generation. We forget the generation before as it goes. It is what it is. But the knowledge that you bring, you and your peers bring to the table of the industry and black, the black community of musicians and how you did it back there. Not to say it was perfect. I'm sure there were apes and no, scraps and you lot and fought, and then it was there, this and that. But there was something. How do you, or can you, or do you find that you can, or is it difficult to bridge that gap? and bring that knowledge to the youth. Are they listening? Do they care? Do you feel like you're forgotten? Um, well, I don't feel forgotten. You just like, it's hard really, because obviously they, they're in a different mindset and they've been fed a lot of negativity and they've been brainwashed with a lot of foolishness, basically. You know what I mean? And you see people get into what they're fed and the youths them have been fed this narrative and, you know, the powers that be want to keep pushing this negative narrative, you know, the vanity, the gunting, the the disrespecting their mums and their dads and their disrespecting their peers and, what you know, postcode foolishness and, and all these kind of things. So there's a lot of negative elements, you know, people are very superficial and there's all these elements that we are fighting against and they have more resources than us 
to feed our kids these things. You know, we can only do it on our little platforms, which a lot of them, which are controlled by them. So they let through what they want to let through. The only thing we can do is build our own platforms and have our own thing, have our own stuff going on. So that's why I try to be independent, try to, to do things myself and delegate, employ people to help me to do what I need to do. But it's very difficult because we don't have the the resources that the medias and these high media companies and, you know, just things in general, what, you know, the mayor of London is doing and all these negative things. They're just ruining London, ruining our city because it is our city. We was born here. Yeah. We have a right to a say. But if people just sit there and just, accept everything what they dish at us then we're not gonna it's just gonna get worse and worse so you know the youths them some of them are listening maybe a lot of them ain't because it's not in there it's like my song i'm an african you have djs that are on the radio that it's like you know when people come and say boy tip man them lyrics there man it's proper you know and it's like boy tip that's a really good tune, man. Boy, I love that tune. And boy, this and that. But then you wonder what some of the DJs them are really listening to. And you would think that they would say, you know what? This tune represents us. This tune represents our people. This tune is talking something that youths them really need to know where they're coming from and where, you know, and where their ancestors are African. Most of their appearance are from the Caribbean and they were born in London. They were born in England. So it relates to the whole chain of what yeah. they need to be into and what they need to be getting into. But they don't, they rather play, you know, whatever, you know, just, you know, somebody, this done, and nothing ain't wrong with the tune. There's tunes and nice melody. But what is he saying in the tune? What is the content that you're feeding the youths them? And they don't pay attention. They don't listen. They don't, they don't care because it's just, if that's, this is the, this is, oh, this is the flavor of the thing. Burner Boy is doing a tune with him. So it's got to be, it's got to be great. I love Burner Boy. You know what I mean? I love DeVito. I love all, I love the Afrobeats artists, but, be a burner boy done a tune with a jamaican artist the other day you know and the tune what is he talking about in the tune but because the tune is hot he's gonna do a tune with him because the tune is hot and he wants to remain hot so he's gonna do a tune with him but they're not thinking about what the actual content of the tune is and what it's gonna do to the youths then and that is where we conflict but my tune I'm an African, you know what I mean? Coming from the natural continent, the motherland, with natural resources, minerals and diamonds. Most thing you plant, you know, Africa, Africa, it is a place where everybody want to go. You know, Addis Ababa, Ethiopia, this is talking about things, but I don't want to play them tunes. And this is my problem. Well, I'm going to do some getting to know you questions, but first of all, this is a good incentive to read Stick to My Roots because... Yes, the understanding of what you guys have been for this the foundation that was built from you are as yourself and other artists 
and what the legacy that we stand on, those of us who are in the industry, whether it's creative or music, I mean, creative, musically, film, TV, all the arts entertainment that we stand on is on you guys' shoulders and the people that before you guys as well. So it's important. So everybody must really stick to my roots. I'm going to yeah. ask you a few questions before I let you go. How would you describe your life right now in one word or a sentence? Feeling blessed. What's made you sad, mad and glad this week? This week, something that's made me mad was I went to the jazz calf and I saw somebody that I thought had respect for me. And it seems like they don't. But I leave that there. Okay. <laughs> What's made you glad? Um, My book is out and it's been published and... What's really made me glad is that people are excited because of the book. But now there's people that's read it. A lady phoned me yesterday and she said, Tip, I read the book and I read it in three days and I didn't want to put it down. Oh, I really, you know, thank you and this and that. So what's made me glad and happy is that people have now read the book and they like what's inside. You did a good job. Okay. Yeah. What are you watching right now? What do you what are you watching? Um, what am I watching right now? I'm watching Hijack with Idris Elba. That's fun, isn't it? It's good. <laughs> I finished it, so I'd love to know what you think at the end. Um, what are you reading right now, apart from your book? Um, I am reading this book here. This book is Finding Finding Home. Ooh, who's that by? Yeah, this is by the Windrush story by Alfred Delmont Gardner. Ooh. He's basically 97 years old. He's still alive. And he came to one of my gigs the other day up in Leeds. Wow. And he was actually in the audience. And uh, yeah, and he was still rocking to the jungle music and everything. So that's the book. In fact, I'm going to start it. I'll be honest. I've not started it yet but I'm going to start it. That's what I'm going to read next. Wonderful. What are you listening to right now? Tipper Irie. <laughs> <laughs> I'm always listening to my music because I have to learn. I have to rehearse all the time because I like to introduce new shows into my, into my uh, show. So I'm listening to Tipper Irie, straight and plain and simple. That's who I listen to most of the time. I like Barry. I listen to Barry White a lot. When I need to just cool down and just, I don't really want no excitement in the car. Yeah. On a Barry White CD. My favorite reggae artist at the moment is Assassin, Agent Sasko. Okay. I like his tune mix up that he's done right now. But yeah, that's about it. Okay. Um, What's the last thing you saw on stage? And that could be a play or a concert music. Oh, wow. What was it? Um, The play that I, I mean, I, went, I saw a lot of people at the carnival. But the I went to see a play um, in Harrow. Oh, no, I'm trying to remember the title. It had one, a good friend of mine called G Vibes and John McLean, who sung If I Gave My Heart to You. They were doing the singing and Alison Mason was one of the actresses. Um, but it was it was very good. It was a it's a Jamaican play about the Caribbean and but I'm trying to remember the name it skipped me but that was a a really good play okay um what's on your bucket list anything left to do yeah to write book number two yes do you have yeah. an idea what it's going to be I'm about not, yeah we we 
we've it's in the plan already and um it's just basically tipper irie guideline to the to the pitfalls of the music industry that that sounds like it needs to happen 100 so where's your happy place where are you most happy um in the steam and the sauna when I'm in the steam and the sauna, I'm happy. I'm at peace. I know I have. I don't have to deal with nobody. I can just go in there and relax and talk if I want to talk. And if not, I'm just there. So I like to sit in the steam. I like to watch my beloved Arsenal. So I'm happy when I'm watching my football. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I got an interview with um, AFTV coming up soon to talk about the book. So mm-hmm. I'm looking forward to that, to see my old mate, Crucial Robbie. Okay. You know, so yeah, but so football, I'm happy. Music is my world. You know what I mean? That makes me the most happiest. Mm-hmm. But when I'm in the steam and I just had my swim and I sit in the steam, that's where I'm good. Celebrate someone. Who are you really rating right now? Who's doing bits? Um, a burner boy. I have to celebrate him because, mm-hmm. you know, from where he's coming from to where he is now, I like to see that. I like to see the brothers them excel. And really um, explode and really just take it to that level of you're playing in a stadium and everybody's come to see you. You know, I know them feelings there when you're, you're in a, I did that when I went to Africa, my first time in Gambia. Mm. And I'm in a stadium and everybody came to see me. So it's a nice feeling. So, you know, his he's tune is good. Um, top of the world. You know what I mean? Because he must feel that way right now. So I could probably, that's probably why he made that tune. So celebrate him. Celebrate people that's successful, especially our brothers. 100. Um, celebrate yourself. Make us proud of you. What's when, like something that we'd be like, you know what, Tipper? Yeah, yeah, man. <laughs> well, celebrate myself. I achievement, I guess, going to the Grammys, you know, to receiving my Grammy nomination through the post. That was nice. And actually going on the red carpet and being there and being sponsored and and being pampered and being, you know, that was a big celebration for me, receiving a Grammy nomination. Okay. And whose footsteps are you following him? Uroy. Who's that? Uroy. Uroy is like the first MC. Okay. You know, wait the town and tell the people. You okay. and then Roy. So you type in you and then R-O-Y. And you and it all and it will all reveal itself. All right. And what's next for you? You did say another book or anything else we can look forward to? Um, well, yeah, I got, you know, loads of shows happening. Um, I'm keeping an event hopefully next year in Malta called Hello Darling, Malta Irie Experience. I'm gonna keep my 40 celebrate my 40th year in the industry. So I'm gonna keep a white event for that. I'm gonna keep a tip of Irie brunch. Doing a brunch as well, so those are the like pr- promotion things that I'm I'm got coming. Um, I've just had a new album out again called uh, um, UK Dancehall Pioneer. It was released two days ago, so that's out. So I'm gonna start promoting that as well as I'm an African, because you know we have to just flood. We just have to while things are hot, you just have to just push it out, push it out. So that album's coming out. So I'm going to be promoting that, promoting I'm an African and just pushing and selling the book as much as I can. Okay. So let us remind us, remind us, remind us. Where can we get Stick to My Roots and all your music? Well, if you go to tipperirie.com, it's simple. So if you go to tipperirie.com, 
when the website launches, the first thing that you would see is stick to my roots. You click on order now and it will take you to Amazon and you can buy the book. There you go. And then further down the page, it's got I'm an African. You click on that and it will take you to all the places where you can stream or download. They can go to Tipper Irie Bandcamp and download the majority of my albums are there. So if they want to check me out, they go Tipper Irie Bandcamp and then they can check out my stuff. Or, you know, but if they go to the website, I'm on all of them, you know, all the media, but they can pick up all my social media from tipperirie.com. So that's the best place to go. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you for your time. Thank you for fulfilling an unknown childhood dream. Like, yay. I was uh, really <laughs> thank bless you. you, bless you.